But Ecclesiastes 4, and I'm going to read 1 through 4. But the, the three points, and you can, I didn't check to see, I, I think it's on the, the uh, church app, and you can follow along with the notes. But the first point is the, the power is in the oppressor. The power is in the oppressor, and I'll explain that here in a bit. Unsatisfied and then satisfied. Again, Ecclesiastes verse 1. Again, and again, this is King Solomon writing, and, and guys, uh, this is considered one of the most brilliant uh, wise men ever that accomplished probably more than, than most kings did back in the day, and he had it all. And these are his words. Again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun, and behold, the tears of the oppressed. And they had no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors, there was power. And there was no one to comfort them. And I thought about that today. And we look across the world or we look at our daily lives and and, and we see the the power that's in the oppressor a lot of times. Uh, We're like, Lord, where are you at? Why does this oppressor have such great power? They were bringing discomfort to people. They were bringing discomfort to the world. They were bringing discomfort to maybe our own families and children and church. And we say, Lord, why is this great power in the hands of the oppressor? Verse 2, he goes on to say, And I thought the dead who are already dead more fortunate than the living who are still alive. Man, it must have been pretty tough. Goes on to say, but but better the both is he who has not yet been and has not yet seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. Then I saw that all the toil and all the skill in work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. And I want us to get that today because the power of the oppressor, I believe, comes from the envy and the power of envy in the oppressor. They want something so bad they're willing to kill, steal, and destroy to get it and to step on anybody they can to get what they want. Solomon goes on to say, this is all vanity and striving after the world. And I got to thinking about this, that the, the power of the oppressor Man, it it makes me sick sometimes to see. When I think of the Jewish people that witnessed oppression in 1937, this oppression was so unjust and cruel and abuse of power and authority. I went to Dachau, and I may be pronouncing that wrong, in 2018 when I was in Germany and visited this prison camp. And if you want to uh, put up slide number three, but, but 41,500 mainly Jews were oppressed and then killed in this camp. Slide three is, uh, if, if anybody tell me what that, I guess we're not, they're not showing it, but, but I have the picture of the gas chambers. And the German word outside there 
on the gas chamber said B-R-A-U-S-E-B-A-D. Brashad, I think's how they said that, but, but either way, it meant bathhouse. If you click on that, bathhouse will jump up there. But, but this is a gas chamber. And the Jewish people would be going into such a, uh, they're in such a difficult time, a time of oppression, of sickness, of pain, of toil. And, and, and they just would want a good shower. And the Germans would tell them, hey, you can go take a shower and think about this. They would fill these rooms with 120 people and say, you can get a refreshing shower today. And they'd put them in there and then they'd let the poison gas go that would kill the 120 in a matter of minutes. Slide number four is a picture of the the cubicles, the, the fumigation cubicles, the death traps. We see in slide number five from 1940 to 1943 that 11,000 Jews were cremated in that place. They were, they were cremating and killing so many Jews that I didn't put a picture up. They built another building with, I believe, three of them in it because they couldn't incinerate them fast enough. We see this great oppression back in that day. It was a horrible time, and they were probably screaming out, there is such power in the oppressor. A lot of people had to be wondering and maybe even doubting what was going on. I need my handheld. Where did it go? Uh, This oppression is still Dutch right there is still in our land today. And I'm going to ask uh, Gio to come up, if he would. Gio's a foreign exchange student. I thought the Lord was really cool. Um, Gio called and wanted to share what was on his heart. And anyway, the Lord had uh, put us together yesterday, and he shared what was on his heart, and it lined up exactly with the point that I'm talking about right now. But this is my good friend. Gio, and, and I would pronounce his name, but I don't want to show off, but, but it's behind me. You can try it yourself, but we just say Gio, right? Yes. But why don't you share your heart, brother? Oh, there are a lot of people. Yeah, I told you that there would be a lot of people, so I warned you. So I think all of you know what's going on in Ukraine right now, how Russia is trying to invade Ukraine, how they're killing innocent people. They know where innocent people are hiding. And they're going subways, they're going to hospitals, they're killing kids. More than 40 kids died uh, last 17 days. And uh, we have one exchange student from Ukraine in Lamar, Xenia, and her hometown is really close to the Russian border. Her family members right now are in army, they're using Xenia. Uh, and her par- uh, parent and brother almost died in this war. And uh, we decided to sell our T-shirts uh, for to help Ukraine and make a small change. I know that some of you think, oh, that war is going on Ukraine. That will change nothing. That will never affect to me. But uh, if you know history, how World War II started, I think that same thing going on right now. And this will affect to everyone. And we want to make a small change. And all profits from our T-shirts will go to Ukraine uh, we will try to rebuild Xenia's hometown. I know that's, that money will not be like enough to 
make a big change, but I think that money will be enough to make a small change. And if you want to be part of uh, the change, if you want to change world, if you want to help Ukraine, we will really appreciate if you buy our T-shirts from us. Thank you. Joe was from uh, Florida, and uh, or Florida, Georgia. Georgia. When I think, look, it's all Joe. I thought of Florida. He just looks like a beach guy, I guess. You know. (laughs) (laughs) But but he's from Georgia, and and Georgia borders Russia, and Russia tried to come in and oppress them in 2008, and tried to do the same thing. So. He feels this oppression, and, and, and our Ukrainian foreign exchange student that we showed the picture of, she feels the oppression when it's hitting home like that. But guys, I feel the same oppression in the United States, but it's a, it's a different type of oppression, and, and we need to stand again, it, just like he's doing. He said, oh, this may not matter much, but, but we're doing something. And we can pray for these people, and I hope we all we already did today, but I hope we're praying for the oppressed. I hope we're praying against the oppressor and, and even praying that the oppressor oppressor would be saved. But it kind of makes you think. You know, when we talk about the World War II, and we talk about what's going on in the world now. We could talk about, again, Venezuela. We could talk about Syria. We could talk about North Korea. We just see them a lot of times as enemies. But do you realize the oppression under those countries of following a leader like that? And how that we need to be in prayer for all the oppressed people. I want to define oppression. The definition is unjust or cruel. Someone that exercises that power and authority over somebody else that's unjust and cruel. Again, oppression is driven by envy, we see in verse 4 of our reading today. That envy of keeping up with, with the Joneses. Solomon is trying to explain being envious of your neighbor is vanity. And vanity means pointless, meaningless, useless. And it serves no purpose. Envy, tied with jealousy or tied with any of these other attributes that are close, is vanity. Jim made a comment to me when we were praying the other day, and I shared in my heart that I was heading this way for the sermon. And, and, and he just made a comment that envy can be a demonic spirit. And I was studying this already, and, and I get back home, and, and I read it from the King James in Ecclesiastes 4.4. 4. And the King James says, again, I consider all the travail and every right work, that for this is a man is envy of his neighbor. This also vanity and vexation of the spirit. Vexation of the spirit means that an annoying or a frustrating or a worsening spirit 
gets put into that person that they envy that they got to have what other people have. And I do believe that envy can turn into a spirit of envy if we open that door up and allow it to open in our life. Envy is when you count someone else's blessings instead of your own. Think about that. And that was an unknown quote or a quote from an unknown person that I found, but it said envy is when you count someone else's blessings instead of your own. When God blesses me, do you get jealous and begin to count my blessings to the point that that grows into a, a rage and, and to where you quit or you get upset or it affects you? James 4, 1 and 2 says it like this. Where do you think all these appalling wars and quarrelsomes come from? Do you think that they just happen? Think again. They come about because you want your own way and you fight for it deep inside yourselves. You lust or envy for what you don't have and are willing to kill to get it. You want wasn't what isn't yours, and you will risk violence to get it in your hands. James was saying that envy causes wars, but that same envy can cause quarrels between me and Roger or between me and Connie if we allow it to happen. And if we fester and and allow these things to fester, that spirit can enter in and really do some damage to where it does cause a war. When I think back at World War II at a young age, envy started in Hitler's life. Think about that, how that envy, when we count someone else's blessings Instead of your own, how that envy got into him and how that lust got into him and he turned it into an obsessive, oppressive spirit that tried to genocide the Jewish race. Think about it. The spirit of envy can be working in the Ukraine, if you will. How that that, that Putin and Russia... They may envy the oil or they may envy the land or whatever it is to the point that they go to turning into an obsessive spirit of oppression that's trying to hurt people to get, to even kill for what they want. This same spirit can be at work in the church. Again, if we allow this envy or this jealousy or whatever it may be to enter into our lives, and come between us, it can mushroom in and split churches. Do you agree with that today? Because I've seen it happen. I know of one church that split three times since I've been alive. And it's all because they count someone else's blessings instead of their own. The way our system's gone in the Methodist church, 
to the point where we can't even hardly agree with what they're doing, I believe stems from a spirit of envy in wanting to be accepted and come alongside what a politician is doing or what a country is doing instead of what the Word of God is doing. The spirit of envy can be in our politics. The envy of money and power influences the justice systems in the United States. Envy, money, and power influence the righteousness of people in leadership in this country. It sickens me because I'm sorry to to think it or even want to think it, but I believe most political decisions are based on money. Most of the decisions we make as a people are are based on money and, and, and envy of that money instead of the word of God. Don't want to get into politics today, but why aren't we intervening more in some of these ways? Why aren't we coming against some of these oppressions across the world as a country like we used to? And I believe, again, it's because of oil and the power of money that we're willing to sacrifice and to give in so that we can continue feeding money, if you will. Ecclesiastes 4.16, we're not going to read down that far today. But Solomon himself saw that in his own world and in his own system that we would see later on would crumble after his death. Moreover, I saw under the sun that in a place of justice, even there was wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, even was wickedness. So Solomon says that at the beginning of this book, there's nothing new under the sun. Envy's still out there and envy wishes to have us. Envy's in this world and it wishes to control this world. Point two, unsatisfied. Again, if you're following along online or on a church app, you'll see this. But envy stems from being unsatisfied. We're going to read from verses 5 through verses 8. The fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh, which meaning they're never satisfied. Better is a handful of quietness than two handfuls of toil and striving after the whim. Verse 7, again, I saw vanity under the sun. One person who has no other, either son or brother, yet there is no end to his toil. And his eyes are never satisfied with riches. So they never ask for who am I toiling and depriving myself of the earth? For whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is vanity and unhappiness, happy business. But the reason I was struggling there, the Lord was really speaking to me that there was no end to his toil, but they didn't have any sons or brothers or daughters. They had nothing. 
And I, I think the Lord spoke to me that, that maybe people had a good marriage or maybe people had a good family or maybe people had some good things until they get pressing into that envy and pursuing it to the point they run their wife off, they run their family off, they run their friends off and they're all alone and unsatisfied. It's an ugly thing. It's an ugly thing. Guys, hell is full of unsatisfied customers. Those unsatisfied customers, if they don't find the Lord, if they don't find the Jesus, if they don't repent, they're going to continue into this point where they're going to be an all eternity in an unsatisfied state. Proverbs 21, 27, 20 says, Sheol and Abaddon are never satisfied. And never satisfied are the eyes of men. He's saying that a lot of unsatisfied people are in hell. Solomon's trying to tell us there's no value in envying the things of this world. And I wanted to chase this rabbit, but it's too confusing. But guys, there's a good envy. The good envy is pursuing God like you do everything else. That could be a good envy, but I didn't want to get into that to confuse today. But there is the bad envying, the things of the world more than the things of God, and working extremely hard that you sacrifice the things of God to accomplish and fulfill that envy. Solomon even said in Ecclesiastes 2, 8, 9, that why, why am I doing this? I can't even take it with me. Now, now think about this. And I got a lot of you come to me and say, Pastor, you need to look and watch Yellowstone. Well, I did a few times. That's the most filthiest show that I've ever seen. Do you get any amens on that? Because it draws us in. Because a lot of us are fighting to hold on to Yellowstone. We're, we're fighting to hold on to our farms we're trying to fight and hold on to the heritage that our fathers established before us. We're trying to fight and hold on to these things at all cost. At all cost to where we kill and break the law to accomplish that. And that's what happens on Yellowstone. Still getting no amens. A lot of us must watch that show. I think it's scary. I really do. I think that show is very scary. But to each his own, right? But Solomon says in Ecclesiastes 2, 8, 19, I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to a man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool? Yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and use my wisdom under the sun. This is all also vanity. In other words, meaningless. David inherited what, or excuse me, Solomon inherited what I believe David built. And I think because of God's promise, Solomon was able to hang on to it. But right after Solomon passed, the land was divided you had Jeroboam, Rehoboam, and you had Israel, 10 tribes, and Judah, two tribes. 
all that hard work, all those things that Solomon had done. He turns it over to his children to lose it all. I believe if Solomon would have lived for the Lord and not compromised, that may not have happened, but that's another day. Anything built on envy will not withstand. I keep thinking of that song that I couldn't remember, but when you build your house on the sand, waters come. What's that song? Somebody sing that for me. There you go. You build it on the rock, it stands. Galatians 5.19 says that. Now the works of the flesh are evident. And then it goes through a list of them. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. Then boom, envy. Envy's right there in the middle of it. He goes on to say, I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those run and controlled by envy will not inherit the kingdom of God. And that's what I always try to tell you when I share these scriptures on the do's and don'ts of the Bible. It's not because God's sending us to hell. It's because of our desire and envy for the world. We're walking to hell on our own. God's trying to save us. God wishes and desires that all men and women be saved and come into a knowledge and understanding of him. God is prolonging his return, Peter tells us about. He's prolonging his return so that everybody would have the opportunity to be saved. God's not sending us to hell. Envied us. God's not sending us to hell. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the things like these. When they control us, we're not paying attention to God. That's where the problem lies. The cure for envy, the cure for these things is to find contentment with God. The cure for envy, the cure for, for this oppression, the cure for all these is partnering, partnering with God. And guys, the Lord was dealing with me so strong on this that I literally went to my knees and repented before the Lord and said, Lord, is there any envy in me? Take it out. Because even envy in the church in other words, where, where the, that envy can step in if I'm jealous of Joe or I'm jealous of Gary or I'm jealous of, of Connie or I envy the ministry that's gone to the point that I sabotage it. Lord, take that away from me. Lord, take away any wickedness, envy out of my life in my marriage. Is there envy in, in my marriage that causes problems? Think about it. When you envy something more than your wife, it's going to cause problems. Lord, take it out of me. What about family? Is there things that I envy so much that, that I've cut my children out? And then, then I cry, oh, the oppressor's getting my children. 
The oppressor gets our children sometimes because we're envying other things and not paying attention to them. I love Charles Finney. He said the cure for envy is revival. When there are dissensions and jealousies and evil speaking among professors of religion, he didn't mean the college professor. He meant for any believer that professes Jesus Christ, then there is a great need of revival. These things show that Christians have got far from God, and it is a time to think earnestly of revival. There is revival going across the land. We're experiencing revival and breaking out in even Oakton. God's moving in our body. But as we get these things like envy out of way, he's going to move even more. But we need revival in our land. The third point tells us again how to do that. Solomon begins to emphasize the advantage of compassionate or companionship. It's a terrible thing to face adversaries alone and their definite advantages to working together. And so now he's saying what we're talking about, partner with God, press in with God, partner with Jesus, partner with the Holy Spirit, partner with each other, because you're strong when you do that. And Ecclesiastes 4 say two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has no one to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A three-quarter is not quickly broken. And, and I brought these out today, but, but this one here, how valuable, or let me back up, how powerful is this here? How powerful is this rope? He's talking about a cord of three and if you look at this rope, it's not very powerful because it's not together. But when you activate God in your life, when you activate yourself in your life, and then you activate your church family in your life, it makes a cord that is unbreakable. This cord here is when you take God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and you take yourself and you take your church body, your God-believing friends, and you can build a rope together that's strong. And, and, and I had to really work at building this because it's so simple, it's hard. And, and the reason it's hard is because you got to pay attention. It's easy, but you got to pay attention. But as you build the rope and you're building this unity together, you just take the outside one and begin to overlap the other one. And it just goes down until you're making a rope. But the minute I take my eyes off of it, I go a different direction and it's out of order. But the, Solomon's trying to tell us that we need to partner with God and be intentional at partnering with God. That we need to partner with each other and be intentional to partner with each other. This service should be valuable for us. And we should envy nothing more than coming together and worshiping on Sunday mornings. 
This, this partnership with Jesus Christ it should be the most important to us to where we envy nothing else more than Christ to where we quit our jobs if necessary to accomplish keeping that relationship, to keep the envy out. Are you satisfied today? If you're not, I would ask you, are you partnering with God? Partnering with Jesus and God makes that two chords. And remember last week in John 15, 5, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you're separated and you're not strong. Last year or last week, I was like, smell the roses. Take time to smell the roses and to smell Jesus in your life. Remember that God sees you, 1 Peter 3.12. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. The Father not only sees you, but he answers your prayers and he hears your cries. He hears the cries of the oppressed. 1 John 5.14, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Guys, I can rattle off Matthew 7.7, Matthew 11.24, Matthew 21.22, Mark 11.24, John 14.14, 1 John 5.14, etc., etc., etc. God sees and hears and answers our prayers. Why? Because he cares for you. Jesus cares for each and every one of you. You're value and valuable. And you know what? God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit doesn't envy anything else more than you. Think about that. They're, they're focused in on you. That's a good envy. They envy you. They want to be a part of your life. They want you to cast all your anxieties on them because they care for you. 1 Peter 5, 7. We can find rest from the oppressors in Jesus Christ. You, Karen, can find rest from the oppressor, oppression of the enemy just like us. Jesus says, come to me all who are weary and labor and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Again, yoking up with Jesus, partnering with Jesus, letting him take on the the problems. You guys realize that when I looked at these, believe it or not, the white robe is probably, it's already frailing and stuff. I only had it a couple days, but it's it's rated at, I think, at 180 pounds. The red one and the blue one are rated at 140 pounds. But when you put these together, you can multiply those three numbers by three, and they say they're even stronger than that. Because the rating's strong, the, that measure's there. But when they're pulled together as one, it even makes it double or triple more than that. That makes sense? So you can multiply the 180 or whatever it is, 140 or 180 plus 140 plus 140, then multiply it times whatever. That's the strength when we come together. When we cast our cares and we yoke up with Jesus Christ. Abiding in Christ, 1 John 2, 17, and the world is passing away along with all of its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides in him forever. 
So it doesn't matter what this world's doing, man. We can be in a, a Holy Ghost move of God no matter what's going on around us. Uh, Rick Renner, I re- listened to his podcast, and he had people calling in to him from Rick stayed in Russia. And, and he's still doing his ministry out of Russia. But he's got people from Ukraine calling, and they're praying in the bomb shelters that are being bombed. God's presence coming into the house. We abide in him. So living like Christ is what we need to do, 1 John 1, 6. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way as Jesus walked. That's when things will start getting really good in your life. And then two, partnering with the believer, that third cord coming together. You know, you can be strong and that's great. God will sustain you, but bring the third one in. Matthew 18, 19 says, Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am amongst them. So we put the three together, and God's going to hear and answer our prayers. But you go back and you read the first part of Matthew 18. What's it talking about? Discord. Maybe discord caused by envy. But if your brother or sister sins against you, you go to that brother and sister first and get it nipped. If you envy something, get it nipped. If you go to that brother and they don't receive it, you're to get another brother or sister and go to him again. Nip it. You got to nip it. If you don't do that, then you take it before the church. Why? Because it's, it's powerful. We got to keep that core to three. For us to be effective in prayer like it's talking about as a church, we got to get all that unnecessary junk out of the way so God can continue to move in our lives. You guys realize after that, after he tells us the power that we have and we're unified in Christ and unified with each other, Right after that, Peter says this. He came to Jesus and said, Lord, now, now how often do I got to forgive Joe? <laughs> how often do I got to forgive Gary Dumb? Come on, Lord, Gary Dumb. Do you know Gary Dumb? How many times do I got to forgive him to keep the unity in the body? How, how long do I got to forgive my wife? Or better yet, how long does she got to forgive me to keep the unity in my marriage? You know, how, how much, Lord? And Jesus said, as many as seven times. And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. In other words, unlimited. So you see before, there's a guard against all these things that can come against the brother. And we need to get it taken care of. And then it says the power and then it's followed again by, we got to forgive each other. We will not be powerful and effective if we have strife amongst each other. We must be intentional as we started the service out today to rejoice and not envy in our neighbor's success. We got started counting our blessings and enjoy our brothers' and sisters' blessings. 
But I'm going to look it up. 1 Corinthians 12, 26. If one member suffers, all suffer together. That's a member of the body of Christ. If one suffers, we all suffer. It means from across the world, Ukraine, Venezuela, here, in the States, here in this body. But it also says, if one member is honored, all rejoice with them. We must be intentional. We must be intentional and fight to be a cord of three instead of a severed cord, which is the most effective. I want you to look at your lives today, which is the most effective. If you're living a life today without salvation, then you're off over here by yourself, and man, you're in a world of hurt. But you may be a Christian, but so caught up in envy that there's a lot of separation going on in your life, and you need to take a look at that. Maybe your children are suffering because of it, or maybe your family, or maybe even the church is suffering because of your envy. I may not even know it. You may be sitting at home and not participating because you're upset about something. But when we're like this, we're ineffective for the Lord. But when we're like this, we're strong, powerful, and effective for God. So let's examine ourselves today. I already told you guys, I... I got to my knees that day, right there on the spot. Actually, I was running or kind of running, what I call running on the treadmill and shut her down and got on my knees and began to repent and make sure it wasn't in my life. That's all the Lord wants us to do is examine our lives today and take a look at this. Because as I said, Hitler started that way and look where he ended up. It grew into an animal that almost destroyed the world. Let's stand to our feet today. Father, I ask that the that, that people open their hearts to you today. And Father, as you begin to examine our hearts, Lord, if there'd be anyone here today that's not saved, I ask that they would come forward for salvation. Father, if there'd be anyone here today that's battling with envy or, or just anything, any any attribute that's not of you in their life, that they would come and repent. And Lord, allow your justification just as if they never sinned to enter in and remind them that they're righteousness in your eyes. But Father, let us examine ourselves so that we can be most effective for you in our personal relationship. Father, that we can experience your totality of joy and satisfaction. Father, that that joy would be so strong in us that this drips off, that excitement drips off onto others and they're drawn unto you in us. But Father, make us that people in Jesus' name. These altars are open and please, please respond if the Lord's touching your heart today.